Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Core 13 Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about finding comfort in suffering. Uh, I think this is one of the most important areas that we as Christians uh, need to be able to work on in our everyday life. Uh, we live in a world that has fallen to sin. Uh, because of that, we're going to see uh, sufferings all around us, whether they be physical, mental, emotional. Uh, it's something that's absolutely unavoidable in life. Uh, so as Christians, we need to learn what's an appropriate response to the suffering that we see around us. Uh, today, we're going to be reading out of the book of Romans. Our core verse for today is going to be uh, Romans eight twenty-eight, And it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Most heavenly and gracious Father, Lord, uh, we just come before you today just thankful for a new day, Lord. Uh, we pray that you just be with us as we prepare to go into your word. We ask that it would just illuminate our hearts and minds, Lord, and that it would become a lamp unto our feet. Father, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' holy name we ask these things. Amen. So I just want to start by saying that I think uh, Romans 8.28 is probably uh, one of the most misused or at least misunderstood verses in the Bible. Um, it's also one of the most wide-known uh, I think one of the problems we have with this verse, uh, typically when I hear people quote it, is they just want to quote the first part of that, which is, and we know that all things work together for good. You know, we believe that God is going to work everything out to, for good in life. Uh, but there's very specific guidelines that the Apostle Paul gives us in this book. Um, before we go into those, I just want to give a little bit of background into the book of Romans. Uh, essentially, you can break this book up into uh, probably about five different parts. The first uh, three parts is what we're going to focus on today. The first part of Romans, uh, Paul, Paul really does an outstanding job at highlighting the problem of sin in the world. In Romans 3.23, he writes, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, that means whether uh, you're saved or not, you're a sinner. Uh, and because we are all sinners and we've fallen short of God's perfect mark, uh, that we deserve a life of death. Uh, the next part of Paul's uh, epistle, he writes in Romans 6.23, uh, we could say this is the salvation portion of the epistle. He says, And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And now the third part of that is where we're moving into now. Uh, so the first part of the epistle, Paul talks about sin. Then he talk, talks about our need for a Savior, uh, how to be saved. And then the next part of this book, he's going to talk about uh, the life of salvation or the sanctification. Each one of these is a work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in this um, chapter alone, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit no less than 19 times. Uh, in the previous verses, he only mentioned him just a couple of times. Now, the Holy Spirit is one who makes us aware of the sin that's in our lives. Um, it's, he's also the one that guides us to the saving knowledge of Christ Jesus. Uh, but then he continues to work in the life of believer as he continues to sanctify him unto good works. So when we look at this scripture specifically, um, Paul says that all things work for good. Um, so what are all things? Well, literally what he says, they're all things, whether good, bad, 
indifferent uh, for better, for worse, for sickness or in health. Um, you know, you could really wrap up the wedding vows that most people use today uh, in this first part. You know, God is with us through every single one of those. Now, to get a little bit more context to exactly what Paul is trying to get across here, let's look back at the pr- scripture that preceded this. Uh, in verse 18, he says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And then he goes on to say in verses 22 and 23 that, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, awaiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Um, so let me just say this. Um, if you join Christianity for prosperity or to avoid uh, some sort of suffering in life, uh, I have bad news for you. Uh, if there's anything that we are promised in the Bible, it's that we are going to suffer. And in fact, Christ himself said because they persecuted and crucified him, that we too would be joint heirs in that suffering. And so as Christians, we have to understand that the promises that God makes are not that we're going to avoid suffering, but rather that he is going to provide us comfort in the midst of that suffering. In fact, that's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to provide us comfort in that suffering. Uh, Verses 26, 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we, we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts, who is he that searches the hearts? Well, that's God. If you look throughout uh, Scripture, God is always the one that searches the hearts of man. Uh, there's nobody else uh, that has the capability to search the hearts of man. And he says, uh, And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. Basically, the one God who searches the hearts, uh, him and the Spirit are of one mind because he makes intercession for the saints according to the, now let's get this right, the will of God. And that's important for understanding the rest of uh, our key text today. So the first part of this says he's going to work out those sufferings for good uh, for very specific people. He says for those who love him. So we need to be able to define, well, who are those that love God? Um, I would say that anybody that loves God are those who have accepted the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Uh, if you remember in one of our previous podcasts, we had talked about sin and love, how they're at the opposite ends of the spectrums when it comes to our response to God. Uh, whereas sin is disobedience and rebellion, love is obedience and loyalty to God. Um, you know, we learn to love God uh, through the Holy Spirit who helps us to overcome the carnal nature in our life. That is what we refer to as the act of sanctification. Um, You know, we're sanctified several times in our lives as Christians. We are sanctified when we are set apart at the time of salvation. Uh, Then we're sanctified throughout our lives as Christians as God continues to draw us near to him, to walk near to him, and to uh, learn to walk in righteousness and in the spirit. And then God again sanctifies the uh, Christian at the time of judgment when he's going to separate the tares from the wheat and so these people are those that have been uh, are, are those that love God and so the last part of this verse is those that are called 
according to his purpose. Um, if we look into verses 29 and 30, 30 which precede this, he tells us who those are that are called. He says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, he did predestinate them. He also called, and whom he called, he also justified, and whom he justified them, he also glorified. So let me ask you this. Are you aware that before you ever even made the decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that that was something he had already uh, determined long before you were ever born? Now, let me just say this. This does not um, get rid of the free will of man. Let me explain. So let's say there's a military sergeant, and he's got 10 of his soldiers lined up in front of him. He has a special assignment, but he tells them only those who volunteer uh, will actually be the ones that go and do this assignment. However, of the 10, only one raised his hand to accept the assignment. This is the one who was called. This is exactly what God is referring to. God's word said he does not want anybody to perish, but wishes that we would all come uh, to the saving knowledge of grace of Jesus Christ and that we would all spend eternity with him. But the truth of the matter is that very few are actually going to respond to that calling. And then the last part of that is uh, according to his purpose, those who are called according to his purpose. Now, whose purpose are we, are we talking about? We're talking about God's purpose. So we see here that this verse is a verse of comfort in times of suffering for God's elect, those who he's called, those who've responded to the gospel, and those who are currently uh, working within God's will. This is not a verse of universal optimism, though, that everything's just going to be good and happy. Um, they're, they're suffering in life. And as Christians, we are going to suffer. As we stated just a few minutes ago, uh, the Bible clearly states that because Christ suffered, so will we also suffer because we are his. And so we will suffer for his, on his behalf. Not because the world hates us, but because he suffered for us first and the world hated him. You know, the Bible also says that we should count it an honor to suffer for God. In the book of Job 13:15, he says, Though he may slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain my own ways before him. You know, that's the kind of faith that we need to have towards God in the midst of our suffering. You know, yes, we can pray that we hope that God will allow this time to pass for us. But as Christ says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. The Apostle Paul said in uh, Acts 21, 13, he says, And then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, brothers, that's some awesome faith. And so... How do we find comfort in the midst of trials? It's by knowing that God will even use our sufferings for his greater good, not for ours. This doesn't mean that God's going to turn every situation that we face into good for in the physical sense, but that he will use it for good for the advancement of his kingdom. Uh, to highlight this, let me read you guys a story. This was uh, written by Colin Chapman in a book titled The Case for Christianity. Uh, in this, he quotes a Ugandan bishop, uh, Fisto, Festo 
Kevin Jerez. Uh, it's an account in 1973 where there's an execution by a firing squad of three men. And it reads, February 10th began as a sad day for us in Cabal. People were commanded to come to the stadium and witness the execution. Death permeated the atmosphere. A silent crowd of about 3,000 was there to watch. I had permission from the authorities to speak to the men before they died. And two of my fellow ministers were there with me. They brought the men in a truck and unloaded them. They were handcuffed and their feet were chained. The firing squad stood at attention. As we walked to the center of the stadium, I was wondering what to say. How do you give the gospel to do men who are probably seething with rage? We approached them from behind and as they turned to look at us, what a sight. Their faces were all alight with an unmistakable glow and radiance. Before we could say anything, one of them burst out. Bishop, thank you for coming. I wanted to tell you. The day I was arrested in my prison cell, I asked the Lord Jesus to come into my heart. He came in and forgave me of all my sins. Heaven is now open and there is nothing between me and my God. Please tell my wife and children that I'm going to be with Jesus. Ask them to accept him into their lives, as I did. The other two men told similar stories, excitedly raising their hands, which rattled their handcuffs. I felt that what I needed to do was to talk to the soldiers, not to condemn, not to the condemned. So I translated what the men had said into a language the soldiers understood. The mil military men were standing there with guns cocked and bewilderment on their faces. They were so dumbfounded that they forgot to put the hoods over the men's faces. The three faced the firing squad standing close together. They looked toward the people and began to wave, handcuffs and all. The people waved back. Then shots were fired and the three were with Jesus. We stood in front of them, our own hearts throbbing with joy, mingled with tears. It was a day never to be forgotten. Though dead, these men spoke loudly to all the, the Kigezi district and beyond so that there was an upsurge of life in Christ which challenges death and defeats it. The next Sunday I was preaching to a huge crowd in the home of one of the executed men. Again the feel of death was over the congregation, but when I gave the testimony of their man and how he died, there erupted a great song of praise to Jesus. Many turned to the Lord that day. You know the Bible again doesn't promise us that we're not going to suffer, that we're not going to be persecuted, that bad things aren't going to happen for us, to us in this life. But just as that story shows, God will use even the most trying times for his greater good. You know, in those times of persecution and suffering, God's love is one thing that cannot and will not be broken. You know, just as in this story, um, you know, the sin of these men is a reason that they were standing before a firing squad. To be honest, we're all uh, worthy of death because of the sins that we commit in our lives. So, you know, I think one question that we ask, uh, ask ourselves is, will God work our sin for good? And I will say, let's go back to what we stated earlier about love, that love is the opposite of sin and that God can use it, but it is imperative that we have a repentant heart that is set on Jesus. Now listen to me. God may not spare your pain, but he will work through your pain. Now let me just say, if you have not yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, now is the time to do that. You know, the evidence of pain and suffering and sin is all around us in the world today. The Bible says that we've all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.
in Romans 10, 9, he says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised that God is raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So I encourage you if you're listening to this and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're faced with the suffering that is just so real in the world today, make that decision. Accept Christ as your your Lord and Savior. The Bible says that His promises are yes and amen. That means that what He says He will do, consider it already done. Again, thank you all for listening. Have a blessed week.